I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. Cindy Watts back in front of the microphone with your awesome headphones. My awesome headphones. I mean, it's a way to live. It is. It is. I mean, you know, I can hear you in stereo all the time. You're everywhere. And you don't have to talk very loud. No. And the microphone picks it up. It does. And your friends can, maybe this is what it's going to be like when we have hearing aids and we get old. (laughs) I could probably use one now to be honest. No, you're not in that place, are you? Um... Well, I went to this Kiss show a few years ago. I've told you this, I think. And and all they said was, don't stand in front of Gene Simmons or he'll spit on you. That what? was the only, I was, I was, you know, kind of in that little spot between the crowd and the stage. And they're like, don't stand in front of Gene Simmons or he'll spit on you. That was the only directions I got. They didn't tell me the pyros were also where I was standing. Oh, so, no. Did you go to a KISS show and not think pyro was going to happen? Oh, this was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. And they didn't warn me about that. I was too worried about getting spit on. So I was hopping all over the place trying to avoid Gene. And then the pyro started going off by my head. And it was like going from, you know, a normal temperature to the pits of hell in like <laughs> two seconds. <laughs> and then it was like being in a war zone. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> I've always thought that I, I did not emerge from that unscathed, I think. Pyro is an interesting game. Even when you're on stage and you're an artist engaging in pyro. And you know where it is? Well, you know where it is, but it still doesn't, it, it, there's still not enough warning for your brain not to feel the heat and go, run. <laughs> yes. And, and you know that this, everyone has spent a lot of money on what's about to happen and whatever you do, don't move, don't flinch, don't act like you're scared. You right. are supposed to be from outer space and impervious to the, to the pyro. It's right. It is your emotional like fortitude that's making things explode is what you have to portray. While your shirt melts to your back. Well, yes. But, you know, I'm I'm not necessarily a guy who, who when you see me, you're like, man, he works out a lot. <laughs> I don't know. You, you've, you've, you've slimmed down quite a bit. I think but, you might. Well, I, I like to consider myself in shape. I, I've, I've, I've outrun my dad bod. I'm now just bod. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, usually when it's, there's pyro on stage, you kind of flex a little. Because you're like, yeah, man, watch this. Oh, oh, look at that. And uh, the reality is, is you're screaming like a small child (laughs) (laughs) as it goes off. So Gene Simmons is spitting because he's scared. Lovely. Well, (laughs) I'm forever scarred. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, uh, so what? But your hearing is great. Even though you're emotionally a little behind. Would you like some dad jokes <laughs> to repair your emotional health? Sure, let me have it. And your da- these dad jokes will help. To, they'll repair you. Oh. Um, I, I wasn't originally going to get a brain transplant, but then I changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Repairing my brain, indeed. All right. All right. So far, Humpty Dumpty is having a terrible winter, which sucks because he had a great fall. Do you realize, I just read a story about this the other day. Nothing ever says Humpty Dumpty's an egg. 
There's nowhere in the nursery room does it say he's an egg. It was just in the picture. He's not necessarily an egg. Is this where you tell me it's about the King of England? Oh, no, no. I'm going to leave that up to your own. Uh, okay. Because I have heard before that it was about the King of England. Well, I think it can be about anything you want it to because be Because it's all the king's men and all, all the, the king's, king's horses. horses. Mm-hmm. That would be the self-referential back to the Humpty was, I don't know. I think it's that the Humpty hump. The Humpty um, hump. Uh, you ready? Um, this guy walks into a books, bookstore. Me. I, hey, do you have any books on turtles? And the guy said, hardback? I say, yeah, you know, with little heads. You don't get that hardback book? I get the hardback book. The turtle shell? Yes, I get it. Oh, God, it's going to be a rough day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I love this. Sometimes it's all in the delivery, Christian. Sometimes it's all in the delivery. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so we have some uh, very fun um, songs to pair today. We are pairing from uh, the volume 452, Long Neck with Jesus featuring Billy Pilgrim. Very good. With um, a, the opening number to the musical Troubadour that also is the opening song on the album Troubadour, Father to the Son. Yes. Um, I think what's curious to me about these songs and the reason I paired them there um, is because they both sound, um, what would be the right word? Anachronistic? Would that be the right word? That might be a little too much, saying that they're out of time. Yes. Well... You could just say they're timeless. They might be timeless. They just, they feel like they belong in a different time, maybe than now, but um, both were written in the past, you know, four years, five years, and uh, and recorded, you know, Long Neck with Jesus was just recorded a month ago. So, um, but they, both songs have deep <laughs> roots. Um they they have deep deep reference mm-hmm. and deep history in them that they are pulling from. They are standing on the shoulders of many other songs, right? Uh, in order to communicate, um, this uh, first one, um, "Long Neck with Jesus," um, I say often was one of the songs as a writer in Nashville that you were just lucky to be in the room and you just held still enough to get credit for also being the guy who wrote that song. <laughs> um, I was sitting with Paul Overstreet and Marty Dodson, and Paul has been very kind to me as a um, as an example. Like, he has l- allowed me to come write with him a few times. And every time I have the same kind of interesting experience with him where I come in the room and I immediately assume my position on the pecking order of songwriter to young green plebeian who's just a (laughs) cadet, which I would consider me. And I walk in the room and he's just more friendly than can be possible. And kind and like a brother father like he's always like helping me oh and at the same time he starts saying stuff and i've learned to hit record on my phone (laughs) the whole time 
because he might, you know, we'd be like, hey, what you want to write about today? I don't know. What do you think about this thing? It's right here. It's um, goes like, I don't know, something like this. And then he'd be like, what about you? I said, well, how about this? He goes, oh, well, here's the next line. It goes like kind of like this. And it would be within that amount of time that we would have popped out a version, of course, of one song. And now we're on to something else. Oh, wow. And it's never finished. It's never put back into a melody. It never comes back and gets restructured. It's just he kind of stream of consciousness sort of dabbles around into four or five subjects or ideas pretty quickly. And his, he, this time he had his friend Marty Dodson with him who was used to this. Uh-huh. And so would like attach to some of the brilliant things he'd be saying and, and encourage it another couple of chords or, hey, what about if we did a thing kind of like this based on that? And it's like we hadn't really even made decisions what to write yet. And an hour later, someone gets distracted and it's over. Oh my goodness. And so then I would take the recording home and I would turn it into flip-flops. Oh my god. Or goodness. I would take it home and I return I I um I and that same day as flip-flops we did Feeling Fine California, which I also did that. And like I they were all these kind of stream of consciousness cool cool ideas that all happened within a ten minutes or So it's like you colored half the page and then you had to go home and finish it alone. What well, kind of, but what I've realized is that it's all actually in there already. That you just have to go in and perfectly translate it the way that it was said. And then look at it long enough to realize it's a complete thought. And what you have to do is quit thinking along the lines of this guy is arguably a Picasso, right? right? This is an unbelievably connectedly creative top shelf songwriter who doesn't really just stumble around and leave things unfinished the way I'm representing it. It's actually done. You're just too slow to have figured it out. Like I'm used to writing for three hours to oh, get one Lord. song. This is giving me anxiety. So what ends up happening is I go back and listen to it and go, holy crap, this is what we just wrote. <laughs> Which, you know, and I'm still learning to get to know him. And I'm looking forward to, like I even told Julie that, that I was like, man, I love writing with him because I don't understand at all what's happening. <laughs> and that means there's so much I need to learn. Right. And from this guy and that he's even willing to let me in there to learn. So I like to say that this next song um, is something that I heard fall out. I mean, I, I, I was a part of writing it. I certainly remember helping. And I think I was even maybe playing guitar while it was happening or something. And he was just talking it out loud. But um, I turned it into this, which uh, I think this song was an afterthought of the day we were writing. I think it was like song three and I got in my car within a few minutes after we finished. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about it that often until I was digging around for songs that might lend themselves to the way Andrew and I do Billy Pilgrim songs. Cause mm-hmm. I really wanted to, to 
introduce the country audience that knows me as a solo artist to my 90s band. Mm-hmm. And you thought you would have thought that the last record would be the perfect fit, right? Except that w- what I realized is that Billy Pilgrim in the 90s was creating music that I then adapted into Sugarland, <laughs> which means we were more OG country than I've ever thought, right? And long, just like anything else that you you realize you've done in life, later on you appreciate it more than you even appreciated it at the moment. And um, my appreciation for what Andrew and I have created became sort of reinvigorated and as Andrew and I started to go back and listen to it in 2020, 2021, and then we created some new music and released the lost year and then re-released all of our old records suddenly onto the internet. And during it, I became mesmerized at how good we were. (laughs) I was like, man, how did we do that? We were great. Well, we were just constantly unaware that we were running full harmonies on songs that were lasting three minutes and trying to make them interesting. Yeah. And that's where I learned how to do all this harmony singing. So um, Long Neck with Jesus, written with Marty and Paul, um, Andrew and I recorded. And um, we did it very simply with just the two of us singing and replaying. Love it. And uh, so here it is. Let's take a listen. Long neck with Jesus, that's what I want. Got some questions to ask him. Hell, men who don't. We could toast to forever in the absence of time. If he don't like Bud Light. He could turn it to wine Well you might think I'm crazy For this heavenly dream But a long neck with Jesus Be a pretty cool thing Are those streets up in heaven Really paved with gold Are there honky-tonk angels I've just got to know Not that I'm counting But just so we're clear Just how many cold ones Will send me down there Long neck Jesus, that's what I want. Got some questions to ask him. Hell, man, who don't? We could toast to forever in the absence of time. If he don't like Bud Light, he can turn it to You might think I'm crazy for this heavenly dream But a long neck with Jesus would be a really cool thing 
Southern Baptist minister, he would have had a whole sermon around that, how we were going to hell for that song. Does your East Tennessee upbringing come up at all when you hear that? Uh, my family drank. Oh, mine, mine didn't. Okay. And so, uh, but I, I, I'm very aware of the um, publicness of we don't drink combined with the privateness of we actually drink. Oh. And that seems to me the sort of underpinning of the way I have seen rural South for a long time. There's always, it's the same thing with gambling. We don't gamble except for quietly what we don't talk about on Wednesdays where we gamble. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a, we know what we think is going to get us into heaven and we're completely sure that as long as we are, um, like, like those rules are also debatable. Do you know what I mean? Like it's whether you're really a good person that's going to get you there, not whether you drank or not. Right. Maybe that's the mountain people because <laughs> they all, you know, we're a little bit crooked up there anyway. But, um, I think there's a certain amount of piousness yeah. that's real, but I think it's unreasonable. I think there's a, uh, I think there's a, uh, my mother always told me everything in moderation, Christian, you know, like everything, like even French fries. Well, that's a good lesson to learn. Do you know I what can, I mean? Like, yeah. and don't overdo it. If you're into working out, just don't overdo it. Like, your body's an, a magical thing. It has a lot of intelligence. It was built that way. And you got to trust that it was an intelligent build, regardless of what you believe in. Like, there are not a lot of accidents in the, in the body. It's impossible for you to survive this long, you know? 
Um, so you got to trust that everything's built in a certain way. And then when you start like tipping that sideways, it's going to have consequences. And if you want to translate that into, I, I have to be a teetotaler or whatever to get you where you're going, then maybe you do because I now after, you know, having a, a kid go through rehab and learning all about, you know, the triggers of alcoholism, there is probably a lot of truth to that, man. Like some people, you take one sip and you can't stop. Yeah. And imagine what, if you were in charge of a community and you were their pastor, you would come, that's where you would run that. Yeah. Hey, y'all, look, don't gamble with this because one out of 10 of you is going to put a bottle to your head and yeah. pull the trigger, you know? So it's probably safer that way. So it makes sense, but, um, I, I kind of go by mom's advice a little bit more than the aggressive mountain breacher, but and pastor settle at Liberty Baptist church on where's Valley road. Oh yeah. I know about this. <laughs> I don't trust me. The bushes had to move around between churches. <laughs> we got in a lot of trouble, but, um, so a long neck with Jesus, I, you know, and it was funny because, uh, when he, he first started singing all this, you know, as an idea, yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I got questions. <laughs> yeah. But the the stuff that I think is real interesting about it is it's a very traditional song. Yes. And if you learn to play it like many traditional songs, you don't realize how complicated they are until mm-hmm. you try to play it. Right. And there's... um the song structure in that song is very weird, although it sounds like it's not. But if you pulled it out and did the math, it would drive you crazy. Really? If you pulled it out and tried to realize that every time it goes to the part where it's like, um, and you might think I'm crazy for this heavenly dream. Mm-hmm. All the chords are different every time. Well, that seems like a cruel trick on anyone trying to learn to play that song. Well, well, I, well here's what it the truth was, is my brother looked at me like, oh, well, he didn't mean to do that, right? He meant to just do it the same every time. And I said, well, what if, what if there's a little bit of genius there in the accidental Paul Overstreet? What if we trust him? And in doing that, it created, because Andrew and I were putting harmonies to this. Yeah. And when the chords change, the harmony has to be different. Right. Because the same harmony won't work. Yeah. Because, you know, the way the thirds and the fifths and the stuff, they, they all move in a different way because it's a different chord. So we realize that the song is linear. It's It doesn't repeat itself very much. It looks like it does. It sounds like it does. But actually on paper, it does this weird meandering like a, a river mm-hmm. that you think connects one city to the other, but it just detours into all these places <laughs> to get there. Um, but I, you know, I didn't think that would ever fit on a record of mine, but it just did. Oh yeah. I think it's great. And I have to give Andrew Hira these like incredible props. When he heard that song, he was like, oh man, we should do that. And I was like, really? (laughs) And he's like, no, 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 we should do that. I was like, well, I love the song, but really? You know? And then I had to learn how to under deliver the song. Like I'm singing the lower part, the, the lead part. And to get a song like that to work, you have to not sing it. 
You have to just barely sing the words, not yeah. even the notes. <laughs> and Andrew's like delicately singing this kind of perfect Everly Brothers harmony through the whole thing. And I I still get mesmerized at how he can do it. <laughs> but he can. And he's he's arguably the better singer. Like he should be the lead singer all the time. But um I just rolled my eyes, y'all couldn't see. I know, but that's the joy of Billy Pilgrim, you know, that was everybody loved the clash because there were two lead singers you know that's like one of the things that's kind of fun about it all but um yeah it's a long neck with jesus did you did you are you giggling at the end of it there was a there's a a bridge that happens where there should be a chorus that talks about uh <laughs> now that i'm all pointed out you have to go back and listen to it there's uh Remember when I was begging you down on my knees, you know, to give me Marie's heart, to give her heart to me. And, uh, and he goes, and I've seen her lately and, um, it's plain to see either I dodged a bullet or you helped the bullet dodge me. And I yes. was like, Oh my God, that's a great line. You, you like, remember when I was begging you for the heart of this woman and she turned out to be less than my desirable want. <laughs> <laughs> Not as, you know, whatever. And like, thank you, Jesus, for helping me escape. Yes. I mean, who says that? And the answer is the guy that's sharing a beer with Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just, I can't get over how just completely, completely baked, half baked and incredibly perfect that song is. Oh, I love it. It's super fun. It's completely different. And how often do you get to super surprise people? Oh, I know. And, you know, one of my dreams is to have Billy Pilgrim debut at the Opry. And, yes. And when I, I realized we were doing that song, along with another one on this record, but wow, that's going to be fun to sing. Yeah. At the Opry, fingers crossed, you know. So the pairing today is with a song you know very well. Yes. Um, called Father to the Son. Um. Tell me, you tell me a little bit about this song before I tell you some about it. Because you and I have talked about this both as, uh, in different roles, as journalist and interviewer, as a person who saw the musical. Um, Actually, I didn't see the musical. Did you not ever see it? No, I was at, re I was at, I was at tryouts. Oh, you came to auditions. Here I came to auditions, but I never, I never saw it. Um. Yeah, no, it's, it's so interesting. It's one of those things that, and you know, the first time I heard this song, I believe I was sitting in your kitchen and yeah. you said, and you said, let me play these. I think it's going to be, I don't even know if you told me it was going to be a musical at that time. I might not have. But we've been living with them, these songs for so long now. Um. I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, that musical will always be really special to me for a lot of reasons. Beginning with, you know, hearing the genesis of it in your kitchen to being able to come to the auditions. Right. You saw like Radney Foster audition, right? I did. And then and then now, I mean, it was the first and it was the first project I ever worked with you. And. You know, there's a hat show print framed and hanging in my house because it was the first <laughs> it was the first project we ever did together. So it's, it's, it's almost like those songs become, I don't know, so much bigger than a song. It's like a it's like a friend. Yeah. 
Well, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a very odd song. This is um, the established. Well, I don't know. Should I even set it up that way? Yeah, I probably should. Well, why don't you? We have we have this conversation all the time, friends, about how to talk about these mm-hmm. these troubadour songs. Um, I think you should talk about it both ways. Talk about it, you know, as if it if if you're going to introduce people to it without the backstory without of knowing. the music, okay. and then and then go back and and then after it's over, maybe we'll talk about it the second way. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is a song that is a conversation between a father and a son, right? And it, it it's a lot of things. And as each verse goes by, you'll hear it change a little. And as it does, you pay attention to what you notice about their relationship because it's going through a lot of phases. And, um, and, and there, it's also, uh, uh, hung off of a very traditional structure. Yeah. Uh, much like a blues song, you know, is hung off a structure. So, you know, when it's turning around and, um, this is hung off a very traditional folk and, and country structure, almost bluegrass. And, What's fun to me is I I am also playing with the idea of the Lord and Jesus as a father and a son. Right. And um, I'm I'm accidentally or unconsciously stuffing in my own relationship with my own dad into it. Right. And I'm also a father, which I didn't even realize. Yeah, there's so many layers here. That I'm talking to my own son. Right. Right. And... But most of it revolves around this unending need somehow in me and maybe in you if you're a father or a son or just a child to have your dad be proud of you. Yeah. Like you just want him to be proud of you. You don't need, you know, like it's, it's the very first moment you translate it as love as a child. You translate that pride as love. That's the only way you can see it. Right. That's that's the only language you, that's the love language you speak with your dads. <laughs> you know, so here's the song Father to the Son from Troubadour. I said the Father to the Son, I will watch over you from above. Trust that someday. We will be one, said the father to the son, said the father father to the son, son. I am so proud proud of what you have done, followed my footsteps one by one, said the father. A father's love, it can move mountains. A father's love is made of gold. Eternal life, eternal fountains. For one day soon, I will be done, said the father to the son. Save someone than a father 
wish everyone could hear it on these headphones because it's a whole different it's a cool thing right experience you can hear every little we recorded all that in one room and so part of what you're experiencing is the actual room yeah it's it's stunning i i if you ever want to have a a full like completely different listen to all my music i i i spend a lot of time placing stuff in the headphone uh what they call the 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 sphere yeah so it's a it's a panning situation it's a stereo image mm-hmm. right and a lot of times in our cars sometimes you'll hear stuff closer to the driver's side right or closer to the passenger side that's really what we're talking about yeah and uh it really comes in clear a lot oops sorry okay. I, I hit your headphones um if you if you put on headphones and go get the giant one so that you look like princess leia like cindy does right now yes um the giant headphones and headphones have been growing bigger since the you know early 90s when they uh, like they they just became more popular so you can get big headphones now get something that really feels comfortable and you can re-enjoy the music that you love in a new way yeah it's not a fashion statement but it, <laughs> yeah. it does but it it does change the way that you hear songs that you've already heard a thousand times and then you hear new things you never knew were there before it's really beautiful it's one of the things i teach people because uh, i'm a big advocate of the grammys mm-hmm. and the grammys are the actual name that's a that's a short shortened name there it's a sort of a slang term for the national academy of recording arts and sciences yes NARIS. Mm-hmm. and um what it is is it's the recording art and science mm-hmm. right so it is it's listening to recorded music it's not the a, 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 an award for being popular or for right. even being rich <laughs> um it's not even an award for being good it's an award for having a great recording in the art and science of recording. And that's why I love it. Yeah. It's one of the things I've always been mesmerized, this weird photograph that you can take <laughs> that lasts for three minutes, <laughs> that constantly moves around. Yeah. That's like nothing else in the world. I don't know if you could smell a baking pie for the duration of it being baked. Mm-hmm. That's the closest I can get give you to the description of headphones listening to your favorite song. I'm thinking about that. Because it takes time. It does. You are re-experiencing a creation. Yeah. It's like watching the painting go up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Or it's not like a photograph, which is a millisecond of an image. It's... It's active. It's a real living being. Yeah. It's crazy. But, um, yeah, I hadn't heard that recording in a little bit. So... Tell, tell people, 
kind of the, the backstory. The backstory to... of what that is. So um, that song, so one of my missions when I was asked to write songs for the musical Troubadour, it wasn't even called Troubadour at the time. It was called Izzy Crazy, I-Z-Z-Y, because there was a, a, a character named Izzy. I never knew that. And when it was presented to me, the, the title page said Izzy Crazy. And it was, you know, kind of a cute play on words. Mm -hmm. And Izzy was a tailor. Yeah. And he was a, a Jewish tailor who had come to America and gotten separated from his family. Um, his mom had, had put all of her money into his passage. And he came in through Ellis Island. And all she had given him was uh, a string of thread and her needle. And so he learned to uh, stitch by pulling, putting, stitching and unstitching a needle into his own shirt over and over again, waiting in Ellis Island. And had become this, when he was a kid in, in Russia, he had seen Westerns, American Westerns, mm -hmm. and thought they were amazing. So he, he was mesmerized by the designs of all of the Western clothing and how fantastic it was. And he made his way to Nashville thinking that he was going to make suits for these people who made country music. Mm. And no one had ever done anything like that. And the this character she had created was based on real people. Yeah, It was sort of an amalgamation of two or three tailors that she had noticed while walking through the Country Music Hall of Fame um, that the names of these tailors who had created these bedazzled suits suddenly in 1951 were all Jewish names. And uh, Janice is Jewish. She's mm -hmm. a Jewish playwright from Atlanta. And she thought that was just crazy that that could be possibly true. <laughs> and sort of made this story up about one summer where this young Jewish tailor who had, you know, on a prayer and a dream come to America and found his way to Nashville in the summer of 1951 and ended up at the time, you I guess you could get... Um, a place to live, like a hotel room, mm -hmm. in gas stations. You know, they would rent out a room, and he was sharing a room with a uh, a young man who was weirdly the son of the most famous country singer at the time. And he played in his dad's band. And uh, he had kind of gotten into a fight with his dad and had ended up in this gas station. And the other interesting combination was this young woman from Tuscaloosa who had um, suddenly been able to write songs about six months earlier because she had heard this famous country man mm -hmm. uh, who, who his son was now at the gas station, right? The, that famous guy, she'd heard him on, on the radio and heard his background singer, which was his son mm -hmm. and immediately was able to write songs that she thought he needed to sing. So she has now jumped a bus to Nashville in order to find this kid and ends up by total fluke, like all of our important relationships in life are, if you think about them, are totally by accident. They were never planned. So uh, they spend two or three days together in this, uh, in this moment in time in 1951. And that's what the entire musical is about. So the ask for me was, Christian, look, the, the dad is retiring forcefully. Um, mm -hmm. he, it's, he has a health problem and it's forcing him to retire. It turns out he was epileptic and um, he was having too many seizures on the road and he's going to have to quit. 
So he's retiring at the top of his game at the Ryman in 1951. And the big question in town is, will his son step up to take his place? Right. Um, And the ask, which was a pretty, I guess when I thought about it later, it was a pretty magnanimous ask, (laughs) was, hey, so he's got to retire. And I don't want to just like tell the stage directions to say offstage music plays. Can you just write the song for me that he would retire on? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. No problem. That would be, hum. Well, I mean, if it was Sugarland, it would be Baby Girl would be our last song of our last time ever playing together on the stage that before we say goodbye, that's what we'd have to play. So I guess I'm writing his first hit. How old is this guy again? And she tells me. And I said, and what year is this again? And she tells me it's 1951. So I do subtraction. Mm-hmm. And realized that his hit has to be written between 1934 and 1937. All at the table while casually agreeing to do this. And I start asking her questions like, well, what was his life like when he was, you know, 17 or 18 years old? Do you have that information because you're the playwright? Does you have the backstory of these people? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I had to make this up, but it's not really in the script. But his dad was a preacher. He was a fundamentalist preacher, but he was one of the tent preachers that would move around the South. And so he was drug around with his dad and his mom. But, um, you know, uh, this this particular, you know, teenager at the time was... um, he loved, he could play music and his songs just fell out of him. But the thing is, is he, he was just, his dad was on him all the time because he was singing secular songs instead of sacred songs. Right. So it was an embarrassment to his father if he was to go sing anything that wasn't religious, but he was writing songs that were coming out left and right. Yeah. So imagine if that kid got a record deal, right? Imagine it was say, I don't know. Let's just make up somebody we know, like Lauren Elena, right? Mm-hmm. And and uh, 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 and it was a record deal, but you know she had to sing um, religious songs because her dad was a preacher, a famous preacher who was an evangelist around the southeast. Jeez, you know, I mean, maybe it was like Katy Perry. Remember how she was exactly. like her family mm-hmm. was uh, deeply religious. So did she? Were her first songs Christian rock, right? So it was mm-hmm. that kind of trouble, but in 1934. And so I thought that if he finally got a record deal and he finally made it, his first hit would be some weird combination of what sounded like it was religious, but was also trying to make his father proud of him. Yeah. But was also country music, but was also his biggest hit ever, which also is his last song he's playing in 1951 as he forcefully retires. And that's what I wrote. (laughs) Oh, wow. So there's a no lot. No big deal. It was a, yeah. No, no big deal. No and big well, deal. the funniest, I mean, this is the best part of why you should go listen to the album Troubadour <laughs> is because um, not long after, like I, I actually secretly was writing it at the table, at the breakfast table. <laughs> she mm-hmm. was telling me this story because it was all sort of coming to me real quick. I was like, oh, well, then it has to do this. And wouldn't it be cool if they had this call and response stuff? Because I remember that growing up and East Tennessee. And then as I was putting it all together, I sent it in and they liked it. They were like, can you write a couple more for other parts of the thing? And suddenly this play became a musical. And then they said, what we really need are all of his hits starting in 1934 up until 1951. So I had to like learn (laughs) a lot of things that I didn't know anything about. 
And there was a lot of failure that went on while I was trying to write this stuff. But the, once, once I got them written that existed in like the forties and then, you know, you now, now you're post-war and, and, um, he couldn't, he couldn't fight in the war and he felt guilty about it. And how, how could he put this stuff on the, like what was going to make it on the radio? And as time moved on, uh, you can hear him like still try to make his dad proud of him as a kid. And now he's the king of country music and he, his problem is with his own son. Yeah. And it's all coming apart in front of him. And he's turned into this angry man later in life. And there's just all sorts of weird stuff that I, I, I don't know how I did it, but I wrote these songs that he would have written along the way that had his whole story buried in it, which never came out except the director. Once she heard all this started to like, use the songs in ways I would have never imagined <laughs> in the, in a dramatic presentation of this, these last three days of this man's life. And at the whole time, the other thing that's kind of fun that's running through the whole story is this young Taylor is going to change country music forever by putting rhinestones and right shiny things all over clothing. And he, he wants to make that suit for the sun. And so what you hear is that trajectory too of old music becoming new music. And this is, damn it, this is not my country music anymore. You know, what is this? And uh, it, it became a very interesting fertile ground for a, a human drama story. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the music, <laughs> you know? It's so I, 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 I weirdly felt connected with it um, in a, a many ways, but... As it turns out, my brother convinced me, and we've talked about this, but hey, man, you need to release this music, even if the musical takes much longer to get to right. a large scale productions, because these things, if you don't know, they start in small places and then they move to another theater and then they move bigger and bigger and bigger. And right. Troubadour will continue to go as yeah. a musical. But he was like, man, you got to get that music out. It's even if people don't know the story, they can enjoy the music. Yeah. And it isn't required for you to know the story no. to grasp any of it. So yay. yay. Troubadour. Um, so what do you think about um, old music structures coming back into new country music? I think it's necessary. I think that if it doesn't, then at some point in time, we're going to have a genre that was largely comprised of artists who were largely influenced by bro country. And what does country music look like if bro country is the main influence? So I think it's super important that the more historic sounding country music loops back around. So people who listen to the genre have a full picture of what it is. So you can have some bro country in there, but you can also have some, Troubadour. How, do you think there's some traditionalism that's leaking back in? It feels that way right now to me a little bit. Well, everything, you know, right now, and it's been this way for a few years, but I feel like it's, it's really peaking right now. 90s country, it just could not be hotter right now. So. And do you, do you recall that 90s country was considered the um, quote unquote bro country of the time? 
I was 10. Okay. Do you think it might have been? Do you think some people were listening to stuff and going, man, if I could just have my Conway Twitty back? Of course, because people always are. You know, people always are. I mean, but before that, really, that whole, like, you know, Neapolitan country. Yeah, yeah, like all all of that. Neapolitan. That's ice cream. Um, That whole. Cosmopolitan. Yeah. Yeah, Country cosmopolitan. Yeah. Countrypolitan. 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 Um, That, you know, with, with, with Ronnie Millsap and all of that. And then, and then in came, you know, Randy Travis. So it's, it's always about balance. So you have to have the balance. Right. Yeah. So, which is why I think it's super important for the more traditional sounds to come in and, and kind of even us out. Do you feel like it's more, um, I've, I've always wanted to ask you this and I never had a chance. Uh, so when you speak about Randy Travis, right. Yeah. You're also speaking about, um, like, uh, Josh also when he started singing, uh, he had the low voice Turner Turner that Randy Travis had. Mm-hmm. Right. And do you feel like first, this is a two or three part question. First, okay. first part of the question is, do you think that that's like the Highlander? There can be only one. Like, like, um, the low voice crooner, when a new one comes in, does the old one? I don't think so. Okay. Um, and then, and that would be a country voice, Mm -hmm. not necessarily a country voice singing a traditional country song, but it lends itself to that. Yes. Right. Scotty McCreary is similar. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, do you think that the traditional country structure of a song, but with a modern voice would work? Sure. Of course. Or am I just talking about Thomas Rhett? Well, you know, I, I go back to, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but um, I had this conversation with Keith Urban when Fuse came out. So it's been several years ago. Him talking about how if you have, you know, super progressive production to kind of stay with the country structure and the country lyric. But if you have, you know, on the, on the flip side, if you have a more progressive lyric and a, you know, you, you can, you balance that out with having a more traditional production to uh-huh. kind of like, keep, so inside the song, you can keep the balances straight. Yeah. So, huh. so play, you know, play, play with both things, play with both things, but keep the roots somewhere. Fascinating. So, uh, m- uh, my daughter yes. is, uh, a big Orville Peck fan. Yes. Right. Would you consider that a, con- a, a traditional country voice or maybe Charlie Crockett is another way to talk about this because it, it feels like, so it feels like, um, a little bit of the genre has peeled off and called it Americana. Yes. And, and instead of calling it maybe country mm-hmm. and, um, I do think it's different. So, uh, where would you put Randy Travis if he showed up today? I think if Randy Travis showed up today, he would still be traditional country. I think what Randy Travis did is timeless. I think it it kind of... Doesn't matter when you play it. Almost not. Yeah. It's still going to be. And I don't think that that's true for very many people, you know, but I think that what he did... And his sound and what he created was so pure almost that it doesn't, you could drop it today, you could drop it 
in, you know. Yeah. He feels to me like James Taylor. Like yeah. every time I listen to it, I'm like, whoa, well, I'm not sure what to do with that, but it's awesome. Yeah. You know, fascinating. Well, it's good to hear that at least there's uh, a working theory as to how to keep country music um, facing forward, looking back. Yeah. Growing. We have to keep growing, you know, and you, and you, and you grow, right. By putting out music, by having artists who release music that speak to the next generation, which means they were influenced by, by someone, by someone who, that, that, that also speaks to the next generation. But you have to have the balance. Like we need them to know who, you know, who at least Randy Travis is. Right. You know, it's like I remember talking to an artist uh, one time at uh, the Country Music Hall of Fame. And they were doing like a Merle Haggard thing at the Hall of Fame. And I asked them about their favorite Merle Haggard song. And they're like, oh. Oh, we don't listen to Merle Haggard. Can you give me a song? No, we don't know. And I thought your publicist did a really crappy job with you. Because <laughs> oh they should have prepped you better than that. Uh, yeah, right. But don't be that person. Right. You know? Go learn. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I, I still like, I'm still shocked and amazed. Sugarland started around right, right after Dirks Bentley signed to the same label. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when I was first talking to him and he's, you know, all curls in a, in a dream, you know, curls in a dream. Yeah. And I love that. he was like, yeah, man, well, I was, I, you know, I ran the tape room for whatever publisher. And I was like, oh, so you've heard every song He's, like, oh yeah, man. <laughs> and I was like, wow. And I just was like, oh man, I have not, I don't know any of that. Like, I know it was on the radio passively when I was a kid in Sevierville. And since then it's been the clash. You know, like, like I'm screwed. So I, I, I like to voraciously listen. But you made it work. Oh, no, no. I, 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 part of it is you have to learn and you have to consider yourself a student at all times. Like just cause I'm here doesn't mean I'm done. <laughs> it just means I get an opportunity to try again, you know, but, um, yeah. And Dirks is that, you know, he's still country music. Yeah. I love it. Well, Cindy, it's been great going backwards. Yes. Always Until fun. next week when we go forward. Woohoo. I promise better dad jokes. I'm going to remember you said that. See you later. Bye. Hey, everybody. Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.